Happy Tuesday morning, everybody. I'm Matt Scalisi, joined by my co-hosts Matt Zenitz and John Talty, as we are every week here on First Down South. Uh, and we, we've got a lot to talk about. It was a busy weekend. There was uh, a very active NFL draft for fans of uh, the Southeastern Conference. A lot going on there. But before we get into the draft, big news uh, for the Alabama Crimson Tide in terms of uh, other personnel-related news, a, a big transfer coming across the wire yesterday. And uh, Matt, you've you've been all over this story, and uh, and you've got uh, a great guest coming in with us today to talk about this and give us a little more perspective on this transfer. Why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest? Yeah, so first of all, two significant developments yesterday in the SEC from a, a transfer standpoint. So Tennessee gets a, a linebacker, Juwan Mitchell from University of Texas, was actually Texas' leading tackler last year, so a big addition for Josh Heupel and Tennessee. But to go along with that, the, the big addition from an offensive perspective, Alabama brings in a, a former top recruit and wide receiver, somebody who was a starter last year for one of the top programs in the country at Ohio State, Jamison Williams, and addresses a need for them at – receiver spot where Alabama was interested in adding more speed to that group. And they accomplished that by adding somebody who's a, a lot faster than I am and uh, should, should give Alabama that, that speed, big play dynamic that, that they were looking for. And we're fortunate this morning to, to have Jamison's high school coach, Brandon Gregory uh, from Missouri coming on and give us a little bit more Intel information uh, on Jamison and just how this process played out since Jamison went into the portal during the course of the last couple of weeks. So first of all, coach, we appreciate you taking some time this morning to come on with us. What, what has, even just looking at it from Brandon Gregory's perspective, from the time that, that Jamison goes into the portal, how hectic have things been even for you as he's gone through this decision-making process? Well, first off, thanks for having me on. But uh, uh, as you can see, my beard is pretty gray. Uh, Jameson's responsible for most of it, not only in <laughs> high school, but uh, just even the other day but once he entered the portal, you know. So it kind of kept me busy, you know. I keep up with Jameson, not only Jameson, but all my kids that I uh, put off in school, you know. So when uh, he let me know what was going on and what he wanted to do, you know, it was just my due diligence to to continue to help him as I always helped him in the past, you know. So uh, it did get pretty hectic. I had to sit my phone down for a while. It wouldn't stay as charged as I wanted it to, you know, but uh, I definitely knew that he entered the portal because I got a lot of activity on my phone. So, so, the phone blew up yesterday. So obviously yesterday was the, the culmination of this whole deal with Alabama. Um, I, I guess the, the, the best thing to look at, so – during the course of the last couple of days, it seems like Alabama, it, it had continued to trend in their, in their direction, at least from my perspective. What made Alabama the, the right fit for Jamison, considering they were one of a, a lot of really respected, prominent schools that were after him? Absolutely. Well, the, the game plan was to get in the portal and get out quick as we could. You know what I mean? We didn't want it to make it a, a whole recruitment process a whole recruitment process to happen again, you know. So uh, we wanted to get in and get out as quick as possible. Uh, once we entered the portal, you know, uh, a friend of mine, Helvin Wiggins, who was actually the head coach at Alabama, reached out, you know, and was uh, told me some things that they needed, you know, and Jamison was one of the guys that can help them with that, you know. So on top of Alabama calling, Georgia, Texas Tech, uh, Tennessee, you name it, it just kind of a lot came at us real fast, you know. So we had to just really sit down and say, hey, what is it we really want and what we want to do? You know, I keep in mind, Dad, uh, Jameson, Dad is a 
big Alabama fan. He wanted him to go there out of high school, you know. So for about a couple of weeks, Jamison had to sleep on the couch uh, in the in the living room because dad wanted him to go to uh, kind of liked it Alabama over Ohio State. But at the end of the day, he supported his son uh, and they ended up going to Ohio State, you know. So it was one of those things where we want to entertain a couple of schools, but not as many. We didn't want to open it all up because at the end of the day, you know, the recruiting process can be stressful, you know. So uh, after talking to a couple of schools, you know, uh, Alabama just made the most sense, you know. So uh, at the end of the day, as a coach, I just presented to the parents and the kids and let them make their own decision, you know. So after a couple of days of thinking about it, uh, talking to some uh, different schools and different coaches, they decide to go with Alabama and, and and think that's the best fit for them, and I agree. Yeah, Coach, you mentioned, you know, Holman Wiggins telling you kind of what Alabama was looking for. What did he kind of tell you about, you know, how Jameson could fit in there, and what do you see him bringing to the table for Alabama? What's crazy about that, everybody was saying the same thing. You know, they was very upfront. We have receivers but we don't have a guy that can run like Jamison, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Sure. Uh, uh, Jamison is a track runner. You know, uh, if I think if he wanted to go to the Olympics and focus on that, I think he could, you know. So uh, Georgia, Bama, everybody was saying that, hey, we have receivers. Now, let's not get it twisted. But at the same time, with the speed that he have and some of the things that they do, they just think they can find different ways to uh, bring his talent out and then also stretch the field to help the other receiver course out as well, you know. So – uh, on top of him, but just having that blaze of speed, speed, and then having some experience. You know, he's only is a what redshirt sophomore, but he got a lot of experience. If that makes sense. Yeah. So, what one thing that that jumps out? I, I I went back looking at kind of his recruitment process when he, when he was coming out of high school. A lot of the things that got said about him, aside from his speed, a lot of people talked about Jameson was you know he was a guy that that. I think a lot of people at least would be hopeful, would put on some more weight in college. In your opinion, is he a guy who has a frame that, that can that can bulk up a little bit? Or, I mean, look, we obviously just saw a Heisman Trophy winner who notoriously did not have a ton of weight on him. So what, what's your feeling about kind of his physical potential and, and where he could evolve from here? I think the, uh, the, uh, the sky's the limit for him. I don't think he's going to be a 200, 205 kid. Uh, I think he was, you know, I think he's already bigger than Devontae Smith, but the kid works his tail off, you know, so he's just more of a lean built kid, even with coming from Ohio State when he come home and stuff, I can tell he's lifting weights and things like that. You know what I mean? Now he's not going to be a Terrell Owens, you know, but he's going to be your more uh, slender, but cut and, and physical receiver. You get what I'm saying? And at the end of the day, he can still run, you know, so we don't want him to get too big and that would take away from his best attribute, you know, but at the end of the way, I think he's going to do a good job of putting on the, the right pounds and the right weight that Alabama wants him to do because he works his tail off. But at the end of the day, his specialty is being able to run. So I, we're not, like Devontae said, we're not bodybuilders, we football players. So I don't want him to get to 200 and 205 and now he running a 10, 8, 11 flat in 100, you know what I mean? So uh, I'm sure he'll get bigger, faster, stronger because uh, he's going to put in the work, and Alabama's going to do a great job with him. But I think they're going to monitor it as well so it don't take away from his strength. I respect you working in the, the Devontae Smith bodybuilder reference. Kudos. I, I loved it. I, I reposted it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so one of the cool things with, with Jameson, so obviously the, the track background, uh, state champion in the 300-meter the hurdles, 
the the state record holder, if I remember correctly, in the 300 hurdles and actually broke record previously held by a guy that I think we're all familiar with in Ezekiel Elliott. Um, I obviously made it made some big plays at Ohio State, averaged close to 18 yards a catch, started there for the, the national runner-ups. Aside from that kind of stuff, what, what do you feel like people should know about Jameson? Is there anything else cool, interesting about him that, that comes to mind for you that, that you feel like people in the, the Alabama and SEC world should know? Uh, he's very uh, unselfish, I would say. You know, for example, his, junior, his senior year, his brother ran the 300 hurdles, and the top two people in the area was him and his brother. You know, so he switched his event so his brother could win state in the 300 hurdles. You get what I'm saying? So he took on another event, and so the, the Williams 300 hurdle title for the 300 hurdles remained in the Williams household, you know, but he moved to the side and let his brother uh, experience some success, which helped him as well, you know what I mean? So he could have easily stayed in that event and and not let little bro get no get no shine, you know, but he moved to another event, but it was crazy. He moved to another event, which was long um, and he almost won that until he hurt his leg. You know what I mean? So it was just like what this kid can't do. You know what I mean? So to move his pride to the side and let little bro get a, a taste of success, I think off the top of my head, that's just one of the things that I could think of, you know, with letting people know that he's not a selfish kid, you know. So he didn't leave Ohio State just because he wanted the ball all the time. He's a team first guy, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, he just want to go somewhere where he can be more productive and help a team more ways than others. I think it's what makes one of the part of this so unique is that, you know, obviously he played for a team that played in the national championship game last year. Now he's transferring to the, the other team that played in the national championship game. Uh, just if you talk to him at all about it, what, what, what did he kind of feel about playing Alabama in the title game? What are his, maybe his takeaways from just how good they were and the fact that he's now joining them? Well, one thing about it was about, I know when I talked to him, just, you know, it was a lot going on that whole week, you know, but when I talked to him, he, he was, said to him and Devontae Smith had talked before the game, but I had forgotten when Jamison visited Alabama, Devontae Smith was actually his host, you know what I mean? So he got to hang out with him, you know, so at the championship game, you know, that he was excited that they had talked and still kept their friendship. And at the same time, at that time, we didn't know we was going to be here today, you know, so I think it's just ironic. Jamison is number six, Devontae Smith is number six, you know, and now Jamison's on the other side. And it didn't really cross my mind that he, played against him into the in the championship until Coach Wiggins bought up when they watched Jamison Finn when he ran down as the gunner and tackled Devontae Smith on the first punt return. And I forgot, like, damn, Jamison did just play against them, and now here he is playing with them, you know. So as a coach, I actually forgot. But, you, oh, uh, like I said, at the end of the day, I just – he didn't see it coming. But, I mean, at the end of the day, when, when Saban and Bama give you a call and, you know, they're very interested, it's kind of hard to say no. I've got one more for you, Coach. The 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 thing that that I always I feel like appreciate about a, a high school coach's perspective is uh, you guys see these sort of moments for some of these players that only end up living on as kind of you know folk tales and legends for the rest of us because not every play that these kids play in high school is on camera, unlike their college careers now. Is there is there a moment that we should know about that really sticks out for you for, for from Jameson's high school career of just something incredible he did that uh, that that really sticks out in your memory? Uh, it's a couple. But the one I can remember is he ran the 300 hurdles. But, uh, no, I got two. So I'm going to give you two stories. I got to hold on. So in football, <laughs> you know, he do the 300 hurdles. So, you know, he's running on the kickoff return, and literally a kid is running to tackle him. 
and he hurdles them. Now, you know, most people are going low to tackle you and they hurt. You know, we see that all the time. But the kid literally was standing straight up and Jamison just ran and jumped over him. And wow. every coach on the sideline, we just looked at each other and was like, is that normal? You know what I mean? And I just seen a lot, but it was just like it was effortless. He went and scored, and he just come to the sideline like, hey, that's what I just do. You know what I mean? But uh, And then in state, he uh, for track, he won the 100, the 200, the 300 hurdles, and then there was uh, the 400 all in one day. You know what I mean? So oh, to, to win four events at the state track meet in a matter of two hours because the way his events was set up, it's kind of impossible to win all those races, but he won f- first place in the state championship in all his races in a matter of just a two-hour time frame, you know what I mean? So hurry, is tired, it's hot in May, and, you know, to just overcome that and still win at the state championship, the highest level at high school, them just two of the top things that I can think of. Pretty so, good. <laughs> so, so I'm yeah. going to add on two quick things, Coach. So, so to follow up on the, the track stuff, first of all, wait, what are some of Jameson's times, both from a, a track standpoint that sticked out to you, and I don't know if they, they timed them at, Ohio State in the, the 40 during spring testing or anything like that. But it, what's the, the most recent 40 time that you've heard about with Jamie? 437 ish, you know, 436. You know, I think he can go faster than that, you know, because he's still tall too, you know, so it take him a minute to get gone. A beauty about it when he left uh, the state championship with us the next week, he went to Ohio. He had to report to Ohio State. So to keep in mind, he was in top notch shape, you know what I mean? So I kind of called and checked on him and they said, yeah, he's. He's the fastest person at Ohio State, you know what I mean? So uh, it's one of them things they just carried over, you know, and he's always been, even on his little league team, he's always been known for his speed. Mom, dad, and sister actually are track kids. So he wanted to be the one to go the opposite route and go the football way, you know, but his mom, dad, and his sister actually run track. It ran track in college, you know, but uh, he uh, took the football route. And like I said, I remember, it's a couple of schools he was offered for football and track, you know. So as a coach, you doing the edits that you do for him. I was did one. He had one for track and one for football, you know. So it was kind of awesome to see he can go to a school and either run track or do football, depending on what it is he wanted to choose to do. So some people don't get it in one, you know. So for him to have the ability to pick and choose what he wanted to do, whether it be on the track or the uh or the or the football field is just awesome. Not to mention he'd go up and do a 360 dunk. So the kid is just awesome, athletic and stupid, you know. So I'm just anxious to see him get that talent put to work. Yeah. So, so something that, that I found interesting for, from yesterday just to throw out there real quick. So I saw on Twitter that I, I guess Ohio State's old receivers coach Zach Smith tagged me in something where he was comparing Jameson from a skill set standpoint to Devontae Smith mm-hmm. in terms of what he brings to the, the table as a player. But obviously, like we've talked about already, Alabama had a, a big need there at, at receiver with Devontae and Jalen Waddle moving on. So while I know there were uh, some other prominent schools trying to get in the mix and had talked to people from some of those schools during the course of the last couple of days, and I, I know they were working to, to try to get themselves in the, the mix even more there. How early did you know that Alabama was in very solid positioning? And uh, how early was it that uh, if uh, you had thrown out a prediction that your prediction would have been Alabama? I kind of figured it would be Alabama because, like I said, he didn't want to get back in to just, you know, get entertained by everybody. It was one of them things, if I get if I go on the portal, I want to entertain ABC. And Alabama was one of the ABCs. You get what I'm saying? And so – uh, I think on top of the relationship that me and Coach Wiggin has, you know, he's going to play play for somebody that his 
high school coach know you know dad originally wanted them to go to bama and then on top of ohio state being number one alabama was kind of one a one b two you know what i mean so to still two years later to still have that opportunity you know i think that kind of just played both so i like i said he was listening to some of the other schools too but i kind of knew in my heart that it was going to be alabama well, we're excited to see what, what you have already seen uh, over the course of his career so far, Coach. And we thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your perspective on Jameson. No problem. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, Brandon, Brandon Gregory is a lot better on video than I think we are. We need to get him back on. <laughs> no question. No question. <laughs> they need to step up our video game. You've raised the bar for us. Man, you got my number. Just let me know. I'll help out any way I can. Appreciate it. Thanks, Coach. Coach. Thank we appreciate it. Guys. Awesome. Well, thanks again to Coach Gregory for joining us. And, and you know, really is is big news for Alabama. And, and I, I wonder if I wonder if it's if it's just a case of, you know, look, I think fans are excited about this news that that have paid attention to it. But the timing of it is coming right on the heels of a, of a big weekend full of big headlines for Alabama, uh, notably uh, a huge first round at the NFL draft for this this program, uh, a record. Uh, number of players and ties the ties the overall record in terms of most from a single school in the first round. Um, you know, I, I guess I guess when we when we look back at this, one of the big storylines of this of this draft has brought back up the the 2017 recruiting class for Alabama. And John, you know, you you and I were were covering that class. We that was that was sort of part of our job at the time when some of these guys were coming out. Um, you know, you, you hear every year some level of discussion of greatest recruiting class ever, you know, could, could, could have the potential to be top recruiting class that this school has ever seen. Did, did we feel if you, if you try and put yourself back in that headspace of 2017, did it really, did, did we know it was going to be that big of a deal? Did we know this class was going to be this good? I mean, I think it's hard to ever know exactly how good a class is going to be. But, I mean, I think certainly, I mean, it was a top-ranked class, so I think we know it was pretty good there. And just the amount of five-star, highly regarded guys. I mean, I think at the time, you know, two was, was the highest-regarded quarterback recruit they had ever had. Uh, you know, you had Alex Leatherwood, who was a five-star. I mean, you remember, as I do, you know, sending uh, Drew Champlin to Birmingham uh, Chuttlesworth Airport to stalk out Najee Harris to see if he was going to show up because he was that big of a deal as a five-star running back. So I think in many ways it lived up to the hype that we had. I mean, one of the things that I find interesting is that, you know, that class was so good that the lowest ranked guy in that class was still drafted. And that was, you know, long snapper Thomas Fletcher. Uh, you don't see long snappers get drafted all that often. So just from top to bottom, that class was incredibly strong. You had guys who were almost afterthoughts like Mac Jones, who we've talked about quite a bit uh, going in the first round. You know, lots of wide receiver talent. Just from top to bottom, uh, a pretty incredible class. And to have, you know, that many first rounders from one recruiting class, I think – you know, as time goes on, we might look at it as one of the greatest recruiting classes of all time. And they have the crazy numbers from it. So from that class, you have eight first-round draft picks. You have a Heisman Trophy winner. And then three other guys that finished in the top five of the Heisman voting to go along with that from that same class. And then just looking at it from an NFL draft perspective, you still have some players from that class who are still in school who theoretically could work their way into maybe that first-round conversation next year like a, a Chris Allen. So 
we, we may not be done adding to that first round total from that 2017 class, draft class or yeah, 2017 recruiting class just yet. Yeah, what, and one thing that was running through my mind watching all of that play out and hearing the discussion of the 2017 class again is, you know, you, you, you think about <clears throat> Alabama's, Alabama's time on top of this league has really defined the last decade of, you know, SEC football in, in some degree, you know, national college football discussion. And I think it's been to the degree that I think sometimes the off season storyline and, and angles that we look for are, is this the year? Is this the year somebody else can crack in? Is this, that, that's what becomes more interesting to a lot of people is, is Alabama vulnerable finally in some way? Is this the year somebody can get Alabama? And, you know, I, I think, I think whenever you have a class uh, of players, I mean, look, Alabama obviously was able to convert on, on what they got in the 2017 class. They won two national titles with this class. Um, but, but guys have to leave at some point. We see them all going out in the first round year after year here. And now there should be a window, right? You, you look at it and you say, a big exodus of, of high-level talent. Is this the moment for other teams in the SEC to try and, and take a crack at Alabama? And, and we know Alabama just signed another recruiting class that some people are saying could be even better than that 2017 class. But this, this to me, feels like a big year if you're an SEC program and you want to try to take a bite at the apple because this 2020 class for Alabama is going to be young still. They're, they're not necessarily all going to be, you know, their ultimate forms yet. So, so I guess what I'm asking you guys is, am I, am I right about this? Am I overblowing the importance of this moment when the 2017 class has left Alabama for the, for the most part, 2020 class, isn't all the way there yet. They're not ready to go necessarily. How big of a moment is this if you're another program in the SEC to try and maybe catch Alabama while they're down this year? Yeah, I mean, if Alabama wins the national championship again this year, if you're a Georgia fan, you're probably thinking, like, is it ever going to happen for us under Kirby? Because this is, I think, again, one of the biggest you know years for Georgia with you know JT Daniels, a guy who people are already talking about as a top ten potential draft pick. And again, I mean, I wouldn't put too much stock in those early mock drafts, but he's a guy who's very highly regarded and probably the number you know a top three or so returning quarterback. They have some other question marks at Georgia. Uh, certainly George Pickens' injury looms large in terms of some of their offensive weapons. But I, I agree with you. I mean, I think we've had these conversations in the past. I feel like the, the thing with Alabama is that the window is never very big. You know, you might have a year window, and teams have capitalized on that. Uh, we saw LSU capitalize on that, in which, you know, really wasn't even that much of a window. It was just Tua being a little banged up allowed them to crack through and, and win. And yeah, and arguably a, a defense that just hadn't really figured itself out at that point in 2020. Sure. I mean, they were you know, beset by lots of injuries, um, and you had just a bunch of young guys playing that just probably weren't totally ready yet. Though that has now made, as you know, Zenitz has written plenty about, I mean, it's made this defense, you know, on paper very good headed into this year. So I think that there, you know, there is a lot of potential. Um, there are question marks. I think offensively, James, 
Jamison coming in, I think, helps answer some of the wide receiver questions that we've talked about all spring. Uh, Bryce Young, I think, has shown enough that we think he's going to be at least solid. We'll see if he's very good or just, you know, okay. Uh, I think that will have a big impact as well. But, I mean, let's be honest here. Alabama is probably a top three team on paper. So it's not a massive window. It's not like they're dropping down to being, you know, 25th in the country. But there is, at least on paper, maybe a little bit more vulnerability that a Georgia or team like that could capitalize on uh, compared to last year where they were just far and away the best team in the country. Hey, Alabama will be in position once again to compete for SEC championship, a spot in the playoff and national championships. So the defense is going to be in position, like we've talked about a lot, take a step forward and probably be one of the better defensive units in the country. Bryce Young, obviously, going into a year where it'd be a first-time starter, but at the same time, a really talented kid that did some good things during the course of spring and will have plenty of talent around him even more so after the latest development on Monday. That said, Alabama will have competition in the that, the SEC where they're not going to be the only good team. Georgia is going to be a legitimate threat this year, um, especially when you look at what they have at the, the quarterback position now uh, and, and just how JT finished last year and just the, the continued development for him, not only in terms of as Georgia started, but even just from a health standpoint also, you would think being further removed from – his knee injury from 2019 that be even better this year than he was last year when he was already pretty damn good. Um, to go along with that, a and going to have some guys that are going to be in position to be first-round draft picks next year. It'll be interesting to see what they do at the quarterback position, replacing Kellen Mond, but there'll be another one that uh, be a threat in the, the SEC West and be – other programs like, like LSU that at the very least be uh, competitive uh, along with the, the Auburns of the world and all of them that uh, can, can at least challenge you, even if they're not necessarily competing at that SEC championship or, or college football playoff type level. Yeah, I, I, I want to go back to the, the draft again, because I think, again, this, this was a draft where we I think we knew there was going to be a lot of first round guys for Alabama. Um, but anything be either either beyond that first round group or maybe even in the first round. I know I know a lot of people, um, you know, didn't necessarily have Leatherwood going as early as he did. I mean, it, any, anything out of this Alabama group jump out at you guys? I mean, we'll we'll talk about who didn't get drafted in a minute. But any any surprises for how any of this played out for you guys? I mean, Leatherwood was was a definite surprise. I mean, just talking to people from NFL personnel perspective, there have been questions and concerns about just where he fits best at the next level of position wise. So play left tackle, obviously finishing up at Alabama, but I don't think there's a consensus on whether he fits best as a tackle or a guard at the next level. So um, that combined with some other factors, I think a lot of people probably expected him to go at some point post First round, but it, but obviously Mike Mayock, as has been clear by by uh, not only him drafting Alex where he did, but with some of his comments afterwards, they clearly there's a lot of confidence in Alex to, to be a good productive player for them at the next level. I love the the joke that John Gruden and Mike Mayock just basically watch the championship game every year and draft guys out of that. I mean, they've now taken three Alabama players in the first round the last three years. Uh, it's I mean, this isn't an NFL show, so we don't need to go too deep into this. But it's the Raiders, I think, right now are, as somebody referred to them, they're kind of like a galaxy brain franchise. They're doing stuff so different than everybody else. It's either really going to work out or everybody's going to say, yeah, that's why you don't do that. I mean, they're just 
they like to take guys in the first round that clearly they like. On paper, you would think they could trade back. A guy like Weatherwood, you probably could have gotten maybe 10 picks later. Uh, they've done that multiple times in past drafts. Uh, the kid Farrell from Clemson, I think, was a great example of that. So that that was interesting to me for sure. Um, you know, I think it was a little interesting to see Christian Barmore slip into the second. Um, I'm not shocked by that. I think there were some well-established, you know, character concerns uh, headed into um, – the draft, but I think what's interesting too is just where he landed. You know, and I think yep. uh, before the draft, Nick Saban, you know, to our sister site, Cleveland.com, coming out publicly and basically saying Christian's not a bad kid. We didn't have issues. Clearly, he knew that those concerns were floating around. And then for him to go to the Patriots and Bill Belichick, you know, clearly has a great relationship with Saban, taking two Alabama players. And, you know, some people accuse Belichick of being lazy and just taking Alabama players too. <laughs> He, I'm sure, got a very good scouting report, the good and the bad. Yeah, I think that's that's a thing to consider too, John, is, I mean, I, I think a lot of people on the surface would look at that and say, well, of course Nick Saban's going to hype up his own guys. But we actually know historically he, he's not going to put himself out there and, and make positive statements about somebody that he doesn't believe to be true. He'll he'll just be quiet if he if he doesn't think strongly of somebody. Yeah, I remember, you know, uh, I guess it was a couple months ago, I forget exactly one, but I was talking to uh, the Colts defensive coordinator, Matt Everflus, who played for Saban uh, at Toledo. And he, we were talking about exactly that. And Saban is well known for being very honest about his assessments, good or bad. And he's gotten criticized, I think, in the past. Some players, I think it was a year or two ago, where Matt Wilson's agent kind of threw Saban under the bus, felt like, you know, Saban was saying some negative things about Mac and uh, up to the draft. But Saban has obviously well-established ties to the NFL, and he values those relationships. And so, you know, he's even told people there's no one player he's going to hype up because that's going to ruin the relationship. They're not going to trust him down the line. Yeah. He told me this kid was great and he's bad. So I guarantee you he was very honest with Belichick and other people about Mac Jones and Christian Barmore and all the other players that got drafted. I, I, I want to bring up one more thing about this this group in the draft before we, before we uh, get to another topic is there there's, you know, look, I, I think, I think this is largely a, a media fan side of it. I don't think this necessarily matters as much in, in the football world, but it, you know, Alabama obviously has been getting guys drafted in the first round since Nick Saban got there pretty much, but I think it was very heavily tilted toward the defensive side of the ball early on. And I think we've seen it shift more and more to offensive players, in particular offensive skill position players. Um, and I do think that there's potentially a recruiting advantage due to that. And, I, and I'll tell you why. I think, that, I think that you get your name called and you get in the highlight packages a lot more on Sundays if you are an offensive skill player. And I think Alabama players – uh, at those positions, Alabama starting to fill NFL rosters with wide receivers and running backs, and now quarterbacks, they're they're getting even more sort of headlines and attention and airtime during NFL broadcasts than they would have even with tons of players going in the first round on the defensive side of the ball. And I, you know, may, maybe I'm overhyping that. I don't know. What do you guys think? Am I am I am I right that it's actually potentially an advantage? somehow, whether it's just recruiting or, or marketing or whatever you want to call it, to have more offensive guys starting to populate NFL rosters now from Alabama? I think it obviously helps with recruiting skill position players. So when you have 
uh, for wide receivers going the first round during the course of the last couple of years and be the, for the first program to ever accomplish that, to, to have four receivers go in the first round during a, a two-year span. Obviously, that's going to make you a more attractive destination for some of the, those top wide receivers, especially when you have some of the talent from a, a quarterback perspective that, that you have on the roster to go along with that with a, a young guy like Bryce Young. And I think, I mean, I totally agree with what Zen's saying. I also think the reality of it is that it's just more fun to play offense. I mean, I think we've seen this be a challenge. I think even Saban's probably talked about it. You know, there are guys in the past where you thought, all right, you know, maybe he's a linebacker or he's, you know, a cornerback. And that guy wants to play wide receiver now. You know, like there's – it's harder, I think, to – I think we saw, especially in this most recent draft, really devaluing the linebacker position. You think about those early Saban teams that pumped guys into the NFL, Donta Hightower – Rolando McLean, CJ Mosley. I mean, those guys really aren't going in the first round anymore. Uh, so I think that's part of what the shift has been too. Um, and then you just look at the positions. You know, they've had quarterbacks taken in the first round the last two years. Uh, not many running backs are going in the first round, but they've had two of the more recent ones. So I think it's just kind of the, in some ways, the reality of the NFL draft landscape. But certainly, it doesn't hurt to uh, to, to get more of those guys in the future when you pump in guys into the first round. So, so a little bit of of a more negative story from the Alabama uh, draft weekend, really, really one of the only ones, I guess, uh, regarded Dylan Moses, who was a player that a lot of, a lot of Alabama fans have come to love. He's been through a lot of stuff, obviously has a pretty complicated injury history at this point, but was a guy who, you know, showed a ton of promise, made a lot of big plays over the course of his career and was a starter on this team, on this national championship team last year. Um, he, he ends up going undrafted. Now, I think obviously there were lots of injury concerns coming into the draft, but how surprised were you guys that nobody, uh, took a shot at Dylan Moses with a draft pick? Yeah. So going back to, wait, what was it? The, the lead up to the SEC championship game, we yeah. had kind of like a, a primer where part of the, the primer included feedback from a, a couple NFL personnel officials getting feedback on guys that were draft eligible that were going to be in that game, both from Alabama and Florida. And one of the, the interesting uh, pieces of feedback that, that came out of that was at that point, uh, one of the, the scouts I had talked to was projecting Dylan to be a day three pick then and yeah. before teams had a chance to really dig in medically and all of that. And obviously there was the development with, with Dylan's knee during the course of the last few months also. So just, Based on what they had seen on tape, the, the projection even then was day three. So I can't say super shocked. That said, it's still surprising just considering, um, I mean, Dylan, as recently as a couple of years ago, was a, a Buckus finalist, obviously, a former five-star recruit. He was a starter, uh, defensive leader for a team that won the, the national championship and still ranked up there, uh, I, I think, finished third in the SEC in total defense and all of that. So we would think, especially when you reach a point in the draft where you're taking long snappers and stuff like that, that maybe a team would take a flyer there. But the, the reason that he fell, it, it was a combination of things. It, it was the, the medical red flags, which obviously have been documented at this point. To go along with that, if you talk to not, not only scouts, but, but coaches around the SEC, the, the tape for T Dylan last year, just was not very good. Again, we, I, I would have thought that a team would still maybe just take a flyer late and hope that he can return to, to form and that everything would be okay medically. But ultimately, those factors contributed to that happening. But, I mean, the, the bigger surprise to me, or I shouldn't say the bigger surprise, but a, a surprise to go along with that, is that not, not only did Dylan go undrafted, but with undrafted free agents, you, you'll, you'll see, and you saw this year, a, a lot of different guys – 
who got guaranteed money in excess of $150,000 for Dylan. Not only did he go undrafted, but his guaranteed money it was only in the range of $70,000, which was far less than even some group of five players that ultimately got opportunities. So got $50,000 guaranteed in terms of his salary and then a $20,000 signing bonus to go along with it. That part was, to, to me, very, very surprising and uh, maybe even a little bit more surprising than, than him just going undrafted like he did. But uh, I, I think part of the reason for that could have been just the, the medical concerns and teams being reluctant to invest much in terms of guarantees into a player where there are concerns medically. John, we, I mean, if you go again, if we go back to that, that recruiting class again, that we talked about earlier, if you, if you told me who had probably the safest bet at, at having a, a, you know, a, a wealthy NFL contract to start out, Dylan Moses would have been up there for me. I mean, you, you go back and look at this. This is a, a kid who was getting scholarship offers in middle school, his athletic potential, um, which again, we talk about so much. We, we joked about the Raiders uh, always picking guys on successful teams, but the NFL as at large known for being falling in love with athletic potential, even from guys who don't have great film. Um, and, you know, it's, I guess it's surprising given the context, given the history of his career, surprising that this is how it ended up and obviously disappointing for Moses. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, I think Zenit solely hit the nail on the head. You know, his tape was bad in 2020 and that, you know, caused his drop. But I think the thing that, like you, you're saying, Scalise, the unfortunate thing is I think there's an alternate world where he doesn't get hurt and he's probably a first or second round pick. Because like you said, I think the talent was there. Uh, we saw early flashes of it early in his career where you thought, all right, like this guy's going to live up to what has been a long standing, you know, years of hype. It, there are flashes of it. Uh, unfortunately, he gets hurt, and then just never comes back and looks the same. I mean, I'm curious, then it's if if he came out last year, he probably gets drafted, right? Because you don't have a year of bad tape. So uh, going back even a little bit further than that, so before he got hurt, uh, some of the early projections on him from NFL people were potential top 50 draft pick pre-injury. So just looking at it, if he had stayed healthy during the course of that year, what their expectation was at that point uh, going into 2019 season, Gets hurt, obviously, but even getting hurt, if he had come out, not only would he have been in position to get drafted, but still would have had a chance to make the decision to come back to school. And unfortunately, the year progressed how it did. The shame of it now, and obviously it's easy to second guess after the fact, but he had the capability to come back for another year. And it's easy to look at it now and say that the smart play for him would have been to come back for another year. Well, hope, hopefully things turn out well for for Dylan. He's he's uh, he's a kid that's been through a lot of stuff, and uh, you know, hopefully this turns out better for his second contract than his first one. I, I will I will also at least point out. I mean, I think Dylan was kind of uh, he was in that group we talked about a couple of years ago that just had an absolutely insane number of injuries, uh, particularly on the defensive side of the ball in that 2019 preseason. Um, Alabama has been a lot more fortunate since that time. Um, so we'll, you know, just, just, he just happened to be on the, on the bad end of that trend. I mean, at this point for Dylan and, and Zenith knows this covering the NFL, it's all about mindset. Nobody cares. You're a former five-star recruit. Nobody cares. Sure. You're Alabama. You're an undrafted guy who like Zenith said, has very little money guaranteed. 
one of the easiest guys to cut or not have to deal mm -hmm. with. So he's going to have to really lock in. And I know that you're starting on the injured list to try to get his knee right. But, you know, the, the big difference is and if, if you're, you know, Dylan's agent, why you would have hoped he got drafted, because it's much harder to move on from draft picks than it is from undrafted guys. So he's really going to have to prove himself and really, I mean, take it, you know, Matt loves to talk about his chip on his shoulder and how he's an underdog. You know, Dylan Moses is now an underdog, which is crazy because he is a well-known player, but he is a major underdog to succeed in the NFL. And so he's going to have to go out there and prove it. And he has the talent to do it. It's just about the mindset now. You just got to, you just got to adopt that Matt Zenit's mindset. Yep. Every day, somebody's trying to take you down. You're the underdog. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Well, I think that I'll be working in that comparison. I was about to throw in my comparison, but I'll save that for off air. There you go. All right. Who knows what that comparison is? All right. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks again to Coach Gregory for joining us earlier in the show and talking about Jameson Williams. And uh, thanks to all of you for watching and interacting today. I had lots of good comments in the in the comments section. And join us again next Tuesday, as always, uh, on First Down South. Again, if you are a podcast person, you can always listen to us on our podcast feed that you can find anywhere that podcasts are available, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts app, all of those places. Uh, just search for First Down South. And uh, you can continue to get great coverage of Alabama and Auburn and the rest of the SEC from these guys here, from Matt Zenitz and John Talty and the rest of our team over at AL.com. Guys. Thanks as always. Have a great week.